Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are beginning a new sermon series this morning entitled One Way Jesus. One Way Jesus. And through the series, we're going to be looking at statements that Jesus makes of himself. I don't know if you are aware of this, but in the Gospel of John, John's Gospel records seven statements that Jesus makes concerning himself. These are the statements that you run into where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, I am the light of the world. Like he makes all of these direct statements about who he is, who his personhood is. And then we are invited to draw a conclusion that affirms that and then to align our life with that truth and the way that that gets lived out in our lives. And so we're going to be looking at Jesus as the, the bread, Jesus as the good shepherd, Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life. We're going to be looking at those statements about himself to us and then how to apply those. But before we begin to look at those, we're going to be invited to consider a specific and personal question. And that's where we're going to begin with our series uh, today, One Way Jesus. Uh, About uh, two weeks ago, about two and a half weeks ago is probably more accurate, uh, I was sitting in a rural village outside of Chiang Mai in Thailand. And uh, many of you know that we just sent a, a team uh, uh, to do and reconnect with missions and our work there. And uh, as we were connecting in the Foursquare Church in Chiang Mai and doing some leadership development and holding revival services, we as a team went with a pastor whose name is Pastor Me, and we went outside of Chiang Mai, which is a, a really big uh, urban sprawl, and we went out into the jungle into a small rural community where Pastor Me is the pastor. And he doesn't just pastor his church. He doesn't just show up there and hold a service and then kind of retreat from there. Pastor Me lives in that community and he pastors that community as it were. And so uh, being part of his practice is he goes through this rural village and he often visits people at home and builds relationships and interacts with people beyond just his small congregation, but into the community that he's trying to reach with the love of Jesus. And as we were there uh, on the trip, we were invited to go and to be with him and to partner with him in that. And we thought that the invitation was going to be to come and kind of hold a service. That's what we were geared up for as a team. And instead, we got to go on kind of a walkabout through the village in the most oppressive humidity you could ever imagine as we followed Pastor Me from house to house, praying for people and sharing the good news of Jesus. And we ended up at one house in particular that he has been spending an, an, an enormous amount of time looking to build relationship with. It's a, a home in his community where there's a couple, couple elderly sisters that live there kind of as the matriarchs, and then there's kind of some successive generations that are all a part of this one little home in the village. And they are not believers. They are not followers of Jesus. They would align with Buddhism as kind of their main frame of thought, but they're not really all in on that. They're just really kind of lost. 
And Pastor Me has been going diligently to build relationship with them. And having kind of the new, uh, the new exotics in town, he took us as the dancing monkeys to kind of be there while he had an opportunity to share the gospel and invited me to be part of that exchange. And so we're trying to share the good news of Jesus and salvation. We're trying to give a picture of God's love. And there are some incredible challenges to the process. Uh, one is that in the Thai language, the word for God and the word for king is almost interchangeable. And so you had to keep redirecting the conversation away from these kind of vague concepts of authority to actually a personal God who cares. And so we, we were having to redirect even out of that type of language from kind of the idea that God loves you and God is love to getting specifically to Jesus as the expression of God's love and what it would look like to put your faith in him. And as we went through this process, you could see that these two sisters, you could see there was kind of this give and take and kind of this tension that was building as one would really want to lean into and hear more and ask questions. And you could see that there was a softening of her heart and her mind towards the truth of who Jesus was. And then there would be kind of this rebuttal by the other sister that would kind of pull her away. And the conversation broke down at one point when the, the one sister said this, all religions are good in their own way. And at that statement, you could see that there wasn't really a way for us to progress any further through translation or through um, kind of conversation there. It was a statement that really was just saying, there's a lot of different ways for this to work. And knowing that this wasn't a place that needed to be argumentative, that this didn't need to be a place where there was some type of convincing rhetoric, that there was just kind of this, there's this divorce in perspective as to whether or not Jesus could be the way versus one of many. And it kind of, it kind of ended right there. And for me, it was really surprising it was really surprising, and here's why. That thought and that concept I am super familiar with because in our culture, in our context, in our Western individualized perspective, that is kind of the, that's the ideology of the day. That's the perspective of the day. And the statement that she made sounds a lot like um, some isms that are part of our culture. Universalism, which says that all roads lead to the same place. Fatalism, which says that whatever you choose, it doesn't really matter ultimately. It's just going to only make a difference in your own experience. And then the idea of relativism, which means that you construct your own reality. If it's good for you, then it's good for you. If it works for you, then it works for you. And it's kind of like anything and everything kind of goes. And it aligns with this idea that there is not one, but there are many. It's a really, it's a, it's a pluralistic type of a thought. And it was surprising to me because of the context that I had found myself and, and where I was on the globe, this wasn't something that I thought would be as prevalent there. And the, so the challenge now in that context for Pastor Me is to have to face the challenges that you and I face right here, right where we are, in our schools and in our universities and in our cultural context where this is the water that we swim in. I'm not sure if you're even aware of that, but the water that you swim in that often you don't even see is framed through these types of thoughts, that there is one of many to kind of choose from. And as long as you choose it with earnestness and sincerity, then that's, it's good enough, right? And so that's what was being landed on. 
And I draw your attention to it again because what I was being presented with there is really, it's, it's what you are presented with every day. Whether you're aware of it or not, whether you recognize some of the tension that's brought into your life as you're trying to follow Jesus and align your life with the truth of scripture and then kind of the reality of some of the pressures and the things that would shape your life, uh, that's the environment that you and I live in. And it brings us to these places where we're kind of wracked with doubt. And I don't know if you've ever been in this place, I certainly have, where I've had doubts about my faith, my faith, my theology, my doctrine, my praxis, all of those things as you're learning and growing and as you're open to the move of the Spirit and as you begin to have a deeper study of God's Word should be some space that we are open-handed with for the Lord to lead us. But without the leading of uh, the Spirit and without the direction of God's Word, we're really left to just wander in our doubts and we're left with questions like, how do I decide? Uh, how do I, uh, how, how can I be sure of, of my faith? Um, how can I support my faith when it feels like it's maybe under assault from different ideas or uh, ideologies or kind of lines of inquiry? And we can end, on, end up in a place where because we're not really sure how to navigate our way forward and we're not really sure how to make sense of that, we can end up being tempted to simply just go along with the prevailing societal winds which means that I can retreat individually and I can just focus on me and Jesus and as long as nobody else is pressing on that, I'll just let them do them and I'll do me. And that's actually a common phrase even now where you'll hear somebody who says, man, I'm not really into that and I don't really align with that and I don't really care about that or value that, but they'll say, but you do you and good for you. And unfortunately, that perspective creates a framework of belief that says there are one of many options. One of many options. And when that kind of starts bleeding into the way that you and I are following Jesus, we have a tendency to opt in and out with the things that we want to align and agree with in scripture or the things that we want to just kind of ignore altogether. In the praxis and in the way that we go about living our lives, we begin to kind of pick and choose a la carte and follow Jesus as we want to instead of surrendering our lives to his lordship and the leading of his spirit. And so that's the challenge that you and I find ourselves in. And as we go into this series, we're gonna have Jesus make some even more challenging statements where he says, this is who I am. And you're not left with the move or the space to kind of argue or debate it. You don't get to soften it or dilute it. You get to take it or leave it oftentimes. And so before we look at those statements and allow him to speak to us about who he is, we're going to wrestle with a personal question that is gonna be asked of each one of us. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get that out. Smartphone or tablet, open it up. We'll be in Matthew chapter 16 in just a moment. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts right now in this moment. Lord, that you would renew our minds in this moment, that there would be an openness in us to receive the truth of your word. As Jesus would describe it, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, as the parable describes the heart that had soil that was soft, Lord, that we would take the seed of your word and that it would grow into a fruitful harvest in our lives. Lord, that there would be something of courage that arises in us to be led by your spirit and to put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna be looking at a conversation that Jesus initiates in Matthew chapter 16. 
Uh, it's a conversation that's also recorded in Mark chapter 8, and the Gospel of Luke records uh, uh, this same conversation in chapter 9 of his Gospel. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record this conversation to some form and kind of uh, lay it out in a narrative, but it's a conversation that Jesus initiates, that Jesus initiates. In Matthew, as we begin to look at this passage, Jesus is traveling to a new place that he's going to uh, begin to do ministry in, and he initiates the conversation. In one of the other gospels, it says that it was after prayer that Jesus initiates this conversation. So we do need to understand that this, this wasn't just like, hey, we're shooting the breeze here. There was a spiritual strategy behind this, that this wasn't just something that was off the cuff, but this was prayerfully purposed as Jesus engages in this conversation with his disciples. And so we pick up in verse 13, and this is how he begins. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, we're jumping right into this passage, and we're pulling this verse out just kind of on its own, and you might be like, man, I don't even know who the Son of Man is. Like, who are we talking about here? If you had read the rest of Matthew up until this point, he's already helped us with that. As Jesus is asking his question, he's asking the question about himself. It was a phrase that he used often as he described himself or spoke of himself when he was teaching and when he was interacting with people. And so contextually, we know that he's asking a question about himself. And in effect, he's asking his disciples, who do people say I am? And this conversation starts not with the masses, not with the crowds, but with, with the group that I would call the tight 12, right? It's the 12 closest to him that he initiates this conversation prayerfully with. And he says, who do people say that I am? What is the prevailing opinion and conversation going on about me? And they would have heard, they would have known. Uh, in, in, the, in the context and then the timeline of Jesus's ministry, it was just a little bit prior to this that he sent the 12 out in authority to go heal the sick and to cast out demons. They had actually gone on like a little mini missions trip without Jesus out in the authority of his name and they had demonstrated the power of the kingdom of God. And so they would have been hearing the conversation about who Jesus was and what people thought about him as they went out in his name and did active mission work and ministry. And so he gathers them and he prayerfully uh, initiates this conversation and he says, who do people say that I am? And there have always been varying opinions to this question. Whether Jesus asking the 12 or you ask the first century church or you ask a societal context at any point in time from there to here, if you initiate this conversation, somebody's going to have an answer. Even in a rural jungle village in northern Thailand, you can initiate the conversation and they have some type of framework to come up with an opinion about who Jesus is. And in that context, the opinion was he's one of many options and they're all good. And I want you to see the similarities between that experience and what the disciples say is the prevailing opinion. Now, Simon Peter, or excuse me, uh, the verse 14, they replied. So it's not Simon, it's saying collectively together that they replied here. Some say John the Baptist. All right, so that was one of the common answers out there that maybe it's John the Baptist. If you know anything about John the Baptist, he was eccentric. 
He was out doing kind of wild ministry and, and people were drawn to that. And so there was a conversation that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist. I don't know if they thought maybe he just had like a code name over here or he was John the Baptist incognito. Uh, they weren't actually hanging out with John the Baptist or they would have known that would have been impossible because John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus, right? So if they were together in the same place, then you know they're not the same person. This isn't a Clark Kent and Superman type of conundrum here. They saw them together already. So it's not a good answer, but it's at least one that people are speculative over. And then it moves on from there, and it says that others say Elijah. So they pick an Old Testament prominent prophet who displayed all kinds of ridiculous physical miracles. And they're like, man, what we're seeing and what we're hearing about this Jesus guy, it sounds a lot like that Elijah guy. Maybe this Elijah guy is back on the scene. And they would be anticipating that to some degree. Because there was actually an Old Testament prophet that spoke of somebody who was going to come in the spirit of Elijah to proclaim that the Messiah was going to come. Jesus would say specifically that John the Baptist fulfills that prophecy himself. But people were speculating maybe this Jesus is kind of this Elijah guy. Some would say Jeremiah. They would pick another Old Testament prominent prophet, the, the prophet Jeremiah wrote the prophetic book of Jeremiah. He wrote the book of Lamentations as well. And he was kind of a, a major prophetic um, voice in the fall of the nation when they went into captivity. And then they were like, and then there's like any other number of prophets that he might be, right? So it's John the Baptist or maybe Elijah or maybe Jeremiah or maybe one of the prophets. And what I want to draw your attention to is what they're saying here. What the common thought or opinion was, was that Jesus was one of those many options. He's, he's just one of the, he's one of those guys. They recognized that there was something uh, kind of uh, different or separate. They recognized that there was something prominent and powerful, but they lumped them into the consideration of just everybody else, that he was one of many. It's, it's the same framework. It's the, it's the same thing that you and I bump into, that Jesus is one of many. And there has always been, there's always been kind of opinion, there's always been speculation, and even at times uh, like a, a specific attack or attempt to discredit the person and work of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was little that there was still a popular thought in academic circles that Jesus never historically existed. There was, in, in academic circles, there was a specific thrust for a period of years where they looked to dispute the historicity of Jesus, that they were going to go and they were going to prove that Jesus never actually was a person and never actually existed. And there was a full push academically towards that. And unfortunately for them, like history, literary history, anthropology, all of those things, archaeology, all refuted that type of a thought. So they had to kind of recollect and figure out a different way to kind of get rid of this, this problem. The disciplines of, of those other studies all supported a historical Jesus. And so then there was a move to say, okay, Jesus was historical, but he wasn't who he claimed he was to be. He was a historical teacher. He was a historical rabbi. He was a historical um, uh, you know, social justice advocate, or he was anti-establishment, or he was a great charismatic leader, or he was the first servant leader, or he was a, a charlatan altogether, and it was just a ruse. There's all kinds of different 
different things that kind of keep popping up, but all of them look to do the same thing, to reduce Jesus from the one and only to just being one of many. So from the very beginning, the very conversation that Jesus is having here is the same conversations that are still being propagated today. Jesus is not the one and only, he's just one of many. And the thing about one of many is you could just reduce it to none of any. It doesn't even matter at that point. If Jesus is only one of many, then he might as well be none of any because it, there's no answer for your sin. There's no salvation to be offered. And you're back with all of the other systems that say that you have to pay your way to whatever heaven or nirvana or enlightenment looks like. He's either the one and only or he's really the none of any, because the one of many is the same thing. And so that's the answer that Jesus gets, and he's coaxing his disciples, that tight 12, into this conversation. And then he says something interesting, verse 15, but what about you? But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am. And there's two things that I want to hook on in this verse because they're super important. Number one is the but that Jesus uses here, right? The, the, the way that this word is used in the Greek is kind of like a, a buzzer or a button saying that the previous answer was wrong. The way that it's used literarily and the what it is implying that comes after, you could actually kind of read this colloquially as this. Jesus said, hey, who do people say I am? And they say, they, uh, people are saying that you're one of many. And Jesus goes, eh, what about you? Like it's, 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 it's a hard stop. It's a, the preceding answer missed the mark. Do you guys want to try at a better answer? And so it's a really important word there. The second thing is the word you. In just a moment, Peter is going to respond. And sometimes we will think of you as singular, right? If I point at you or you or you, you can be like me and a yes, you. And that's just the you, me, you. But then there's the you. And that's the you that Jesus is using here. And he's using it in a way that doesn't just imply the tight 12, but it would imply those who they represent, and then it would imply the successive generations as well. This question is not just for Peter, it's not just for the three, it's not for the tight 12, and it's not for just those in that time frame. The question is for any who would hear it and have pause to answer it. The question is for you individually, you as the individual today. It's the same question, who do you say he is? Because ultimately, it's going to be narrowed down to that. And that's not in a way that you get to enter into this idea of relativism and you get to construct your own reality. It's where you, in the personal decision of your own life, or the trajectory and the alignment of the way that you're going to live, you have to settle this for yourself. You can't borrow it from somebody else. There's times where you can lean into somebody else's faith to believe for something that's got, that God is going to do, but salvation is not a place that you can do that. It's either something that you believe and confess with your own mouth and heart or it's something that you do not. You can't borrow it from somebody else. It's a question that Jesus will answer or will ask everyone for an answer. And so he says, who do you, who do you say I am? And popular opinion aside, each person, each person is pressed to individually arrive at a conclusion here. Each person is pressed. And, and Peter he, you guys, he got it right. He, he got one right. 
He gets a few right, to be fair, and sometimes Peter gets more of a bad rap because he is just laid bare in his mistakes throughout the Gospels. But I love, I love that, he's, that he is exposed that way because it, 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 I, I relate to Peter a lot. And then I love that he gets some right because then I feel like there's some hope for Pastor Ben. And he gets this one right. Who do you say I am? And it says, Simon Peter answered. And he's not just answering personally here. He's actually answering as a spokesman for the group as well. So they had together arrived at this conclusion. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And to the answer that Jesus is asking, he is saying this, you are the only one. Jesus says, what is being spoken about me in popular societal opinion? Jesus, you're one of many. You're a great option of many. Peter, James, John, tight 12, who am I? You are the one and only. You are the only one. And that's what Peter is confessing here. It's a halfway confession of faith. Right, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, as, as, P, uh, as Paul is writing to the church and he's saying, hey, this is how you can be assured that you have received salvation, right? He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a, it's, it's a done deal that there's this confession of faith and a receiving of salvation that happens in that. And then you begin to align the way that you live your life in practice and it starts to work out into your experience. But there's this declaration of lordship. And that declaration of lordship means that I have to know who Jesus is first and then submit to his authority. Peter's halfway there right here. He recognized who Jesus was. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of of the living God. You are the only one. You are not one of many. You are the only one. And right here, Peter goes beyond the understood acceptation of Jesus as a teacher or a rabbi. And he goes beyond the popular acclamation that Jesus was a prophetic voice. And he moves past those one of many type of considerations to that Jesus is the one and only Messiah and Savior. And I want to pause for just a moment. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to hear this question fresh and new. How would you answer today? If Jesus said, hey, when I'm looking at what's going on in your nation, when I'm looking at what's going on in the world, even kind of frameworks and ideologies that can be found in the rural jungles on the other side of the planet, where there would be this consideration that I am one of many, which means that I am I'm none of any. That what about you? How would, how would you answer that today? And I think most of you, if, if you're here and if you're a, an earnest Christ follower, you would say, no, I, I've made that decision. Jesus is the one and only. He is the Savior. I've made that confession. You can open your eyes now. You don't have to just stay there. If I leave your eyes closed too long, I'm not sure if you're asleep or not, right? But you may answer, no, like Jesus, he's the one and only. I've made that. I've done that Romans 9 thing. I've confessed with my mouth. I've submitted my life to the lordship of Jesus. Like I'm, I'm convinced of that. I want you to close your eyes again. And I want you to think about this. When you think of Jesus right now, what does he look like? What does he look like? All right, open your eyes again. Right? For some of you, when I ask that question, Jesus looks like the main character from Chosen. 
right? It's like, that's what Jesus was like. For some of you, it's like a picture that was on grandmama's wall. For some of you, it's some type of art. For some of you, it's like a painting in your Bible. For some of you, Jesus is going to look really similar to maybe a spiritual mentor, somebody who really was like Jesus incarnate in your life in the way that they lived their lives. You felt like when you saw the way that they lived that you were seeing Jesus lived out in front. There's all kinds of ways that your mind would try to make sense of that, and you would arrive at a conclusion, and you had a picture in your head of Jesus. And I challenge you with that idea because oftentimes when we do that type of practice, because we have to relate to God out of, out of our finiteness, who we are, where we are, what we've experienced, because of all of those things that kind of inform and, and reform our thought and our perspective on those, I found that a lot of times when I think about Jesus, to varying degrees, he reminds me of me that he likes the things that I like, that he's gonna vote the way that I would vote, that he's gonna value the things that I value, that he's gonna affirm the things that I would affirm. Very often when we do a practice like that, unaware to our own selves, we think of Jesus a lot like ourselves. And in doing so, we inadvertently begin to make Jesus into our image instead of allowing the Spirit of God to transform us more Christ-like. And I give that to you just as a praxis and maybe just as um, a, a, a reminder or maybe even a caution that many times we take the one and only and we try to make him just look like us. And there's very little difference between that praxis, making Jesus American, making Jesus Republican or Democrat, making Jesus rural versus urban, like whatever the line is that we would draw, making Jesus the color of my skin or the color of my eyes or the persuasion of my preferences. There's very little difference to that and just crafting an idol out of gold. It's the same practice where we look to craft God into an image that we would make. Jesus is the one and only. He doesn't leave room for that. And so even as, a, as an earnest Christ, listen, I love Jesus with my whole heart. I've given my life to following him, and there's times where my Jesus has looked a lot more like Ben than Ben has looked like Jesus. And not out of malice, not out of intention, but because we swim in this world and we swim in this water of ideologies that constantly barrage us to try to make sense of it. And in doing so, oftentimes we just align with the wrong premise. Jesus is not one of many ways. He is the only way. There is one way, and it's Jesus. And we have to land on an answer to his question, who do you say I am? We have to land on that ourselves. And not with argumentation, not with convincing, not with somehow going and, and colluding to affirm a specific type of an idea. There really is something personal of a journey that we have to go to, to where we submit to the Lordship of Jesus and we say, Jesus, I'm gonna believe that you are who you said you are. And even at the times where I try to add Ben to that or add my preferences to that or add something else to that, I'm, Jesus, remind me to not do that and to just take you at your word. 
Because when we look at Jesus as the bread of life, we're gonna have a framework for what we think that's supposed to mean in our life and how that's supposed to be applied. When Jesus says that he's the resurrection and the life, we're gonna come with frameworks and thoughts. We're gonna come with lenses that are gonna somehow influence the conversation and even the conclusions that we arrive at. And so we have to remind ourselves constantly that even as we have to find ways to apply that in a personal sense, we've gotta leave room for Jesus to say who Jesus is to take his word at its word and to allow the spirit of God to inform the conclusions that we make and that it's in knowing him that I know him. In knowing him, I know him. And Peter got this answer right and it's against all odds and here's why. In verse 17, Jesus replies to Peter and he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this, look, was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Peter, you didn't get this from your study. You didn't get this from your own conclusions. You didn't even arrive at this conclusion because you've seen miracles. You didn't get this because you had your ear to the ground. You were listening to, to the, all of the conversation, the opinions that were swirling in society around you. You weren't kind of collecting bits of wisdom from all over. You didn't discover this for yourself. But you were given insight by my Father in heaven. And as we go into this series, One Way Jesus, and as Jesus speaks to you and I about who he is and what that means for our lives, the conclusions that we need to arrive at don't need to be because Pastor Ben or Pastor Mark or Pastor Tom or Pastor Beth or Pastor Cameron frames out a message and delivers it. And it's like, yes, I agree with that. Ultimately, the decisions that we need to land on, the conclusions that we need to make need to be inspired and informed by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. And it's something that each one of us has to answer in the process. And honestly, the best way for you to know Jesus is to know Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had this awkward conversation. I've had this so many times. Have you ever met somebody who you haven't seen since college or since high school, you hadn't seen them for a while? And the only way that they can relate to you was who you were back then, but you're not that person anymore. You ever been in that place? Like I've shared at different times a picture of me from college with my long flowing surfer locks. Majestic. <laughs> I'm not majestic. I've got, that, I've got that picture in my office. It's on my whiteboard. I've, I've shared that pictures at, at, at times just once because I needed, I, I needed to prove it, right? Needed to prove it. I've run into people from college who have been like, whoa, when did you cut your hair? College was a long time ago, you guys. <laughs> whoa, when did, when did you cut your hair? Man, I just, man, I thought you'd never let that go. Do you know when I cut my hair? I actually cut it in college. Like, are you kidding me? Like, before I even left, my hair was cut. And the, but they can't think of me aside from that one interaction or that one picture or framework, that one experience. And then the questions come, like, do you still do this or are you still into that? As if, like, I was stuck in a time capsule and I, I, there was no other growth in me as a person and there, there was no other way for them to know me in a different way. And I share that with you because it's relatable and you've been there if you've aged at all. But second, we have a tendency to do the same thing with Jesus. 
We have an experience with him and we put him in that time capsule and that's just who he is and how he always relates to us. And we miss the growth and we miss the nuance of going deeper into a relationship with him and discovering more about how we relate to him and deeper understanding of who he is. And then all of a sudden, 20 years, you've been following Jesus, but Jesus just looks the same as he ever did because you never grew in relationship with him. That's why we need to grow. We need to allow him to say, no, 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 I, I don't, I don't always do that. Like, yeah, I, I met you in that place, but I can meet you in another place. Like, people get stuck in their style. They get stuck in their worship expression. They get stuck in their expectation because they have this thought or this idea that Jesus will only do what he did the way that he did that time when he did it there. And they take one and only Jesus and they make him really small. And instead of him being the one and only who could do the impossible, he can only do the one thing he did that one time. And do you see what happens? You, we diminish him. One way. And man, he can do the impossible. Church family, if you would stand, worship team, if you would come forward, we're gonna entertain just a few questions as we close. So I want you to consider that question again as if Jesus was asking you, how would, how would you answer? Who, who do you say? Who do you say he is? The challenge in the framework and in the water that we swim in is gonna be to kind of align with one of many. But what Jesus is gonna affirm is that he is the one and only. In fact, in the book of John, which we get the I am statements out of Jesus on several occasions as referred to as the one and only. The one and only what? The one and only begotten son. In the book of Revelation, in the latter chapters, Jesus is described as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Not one of many, not, not a prominent one in a group of peers. The one supreme. And for you and I in our lives, when it comes to the Lordship of Jesus and walking that out in a practical way, we constantly are barraged by this question and we have to come to a conclusion for ourselves: Is he Lord of all or is he Lord of nothing? Is he one of many or is he the one and only? That's constantly, constantly the question that we have to wrestle out. Jesus, we ask that you would draw us to you as the one and only today. We see in Peter that he, he couldn't make this declaration of his own accord. He didn't arrive on this through his human intuition, that there was something of the Spirit of God at work in him that drew him to that conclusion. Holy Spirit, would you do that for us today? Lord, for hearts here who have never known you as the one and only, you've been the next thing that they're trying because their life is such a mess. Lord, would Holy Spirit, would you soften their heart today and would you bring them to this conclusion that you are the one, not of many, but that you are the one and only. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts. 
to align with that. The places in our own lives where Jesus, we've tried to craft you in our image. Lord, would you forgive us of that? Would you reveal those places to us? Often it's inadvertent. It's not out of malice or even forethought. We just, we slide that direction so easily. Lord, would you forgive us of that? And would you renew our hearts, renew our minds? And by your spirit, would you begin to sanctify us that we would live our lives more and more like Jesus? Lord, that when we consider you, that we would be drawn to the conclusion that we need to be challenged to be more like you, crafted in your image rather than looking to control you into ours. And Lord, as we begin this study, would you give us soft hearts to hear your word, soft hearts to hear your statements about who you are, that we would receive it in full faith, and that then we would begin to align the way that we live our lives with those truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, three action steps for you this week. You can snap a picture or you can catch this on Facebook later on. Number one is I would encourage you to either get acquainted with or get reacquainted with Jesus this week. Build that relationship. Do that through a couple of things. One is allow him to introduce himself through his word. A great place to start would be the book of John. That's where we're going to be. Our I am statements are coming from and spend some time in listening prayer. Begin to discern his voice.